Again. Can I say it again? Good morning again. All right, Joey. Good morning again. You know, as we're still doing these services online, you know, I've watched different pastors. And some of them are doing, you know, they got a couple chairs and they got the coffee table and they're kind of doing their, their service like that. And some people, you know, they're in their bathrobes and doing it. But, you know, I like to, to, to keep moving as if you guys are here. Keep, you know, teaching, imagining that you guys are right there. So as we, we talk to you, as we go through God's word, um, you know, we have that same sense of God's presence in, in what He's doing and what He's working in our lives as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the Word of God. So we're going to pick up from where we left off before Easter. We're in the book of Colossians this morning, chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11. If you need a Bible, just um, buy one so you have one next time. I can't get one to your house, but uh, turn to Colossians 3, 5 through 11, and uh, we'll go over this section of Scripture this morning. Starting in verse 5, we read, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but now you yourselves are to put off these, all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. The title of my message this morning is Taking the Trash Out. Let's pray. Again, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, Lord, in our homes and to be able to hear from your Holy Spirit, teaching us, instructing us from your word, how we might live lives that are more pleasing to you, Lord God, more in line with your will. Lord, that we might uh, serve you better, know you closer, Lord, that uh, we might be those men and women that you've called us to be. Father, we do pray if there's anyone that is tuned in, that is listening, that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again this morning, we pray, Lord, as we look to your word, their hearts would be convicted and they would see their need for a personal relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. They would turn from their sin and turn to you this morning. So we thank you for this time together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I've read that there are some some, uh, coronavirus self-isolators that they've decided that the highlight of their day is to dress up when, when they go to take their trash can out to the street. And so I found a few pictures of them. There's one of someone wearing a mask of Ed Asner's character, Mr. Fredrickson, from the animated film Up. And they got it really pretty good. Not to be outdone, you have a Star Wars stormtrooper taking out the trash. 
Finally, someone thought Iron Man was needed to take out the trash, probably because we've been eating so much, being quarantined, there is so much trash. So someone posted Iron Man uh, getting ready to take out his trash. I thought these were pretty funny. And the crazy thing about being quarantined is we do have to take the trash out way more often. And I think the same thing can be true for our Christian lives as well. See, every once in a while, we need to be reminded that we be a distinct people in this world. Certain actions and certain attitudes that belong to the lifestyle of the world do not fit the lifestyle of the born-again Christian. In other words, while we live in this world, we are not to allow the world to live in us. Now, Paul's words in these verses this morning really should make us uncomfortable because Paul is speaking about sin and the sin in our lives that shouldn't be there, that should be thrown out. I know it's not a popular subject. I know it's not a, a pleasant and positive uh, subject like we looked at last week in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But when we study the whole counsel of God, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, there are times where we have to look at and address things that are sinful, that are harmful in our lives, and call it what it is. Call sin what it is, sin. And when we look to God's Word and what these sinful things are, the best way to describe it is trash. It's garbage. Now, what would happen if we never took the trash out of our homes? Well, what if we said, well, I'm going to take the positive approach, you know, at our house. We just like to hold on to everything. We're not against anything. Well, you'd be a hoarder, first and foremost. And secondly, your house would stink. You'd sink up the place. So in the same way, in our Christian life, there are some things that, like it or not, need to be thrown away, need to be discarded so our lives would not stink up. If you're taking notes, I've divided the sins that need to be discarded from our lives into four categories. Number one, undisciplined desires. Number two, unholy attitudes. Number three, untamed speech. And number four, unwarranted prejudice. Now, Paul begins by lumping all four into one category when he says in verse 5, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Now, when he says put to death your members, he's not talking about church members. He's not advocating that. What he's saying is if there is a part of your old sinful nature that you're keeping alive, you need to put it to death. Put to death whatever belongs to your old earthly nature. See, we're told once we give our lives to Jesus Christ in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that we are given a new nature. Behold, old things have passed away. All things become new. The old things were a part of that old sinful nature, the sins that, that just came natural to us. That's our old sinful nature. Now, the Bible does speak about the true nature of certain animals. We're told in 2 Peter 2, verse 22, that it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a pig having washed to her, wallowing in the mire. Now I know that verse is true for many reasons, but I can tell you that I have personally witnessed this verse about the dog returning to his own vomit, and it's not a pretty scene. I wish I had not seen that. There are other things that dogs return to after the fact, but we won't go into that. But I love how people say, well, the dog's mouth is so much cleaner than people's mouth. I don't think so. Because a dog will return to its own vomit. Why? Because 
That's his nature. He's a dog. He's not a human. No matter how the little clothes you put on him and how you dress him up, it's still a dog. Same thing for a pig. A pig is a pig and it'll always be a pig and, and it's going to return to its old nature because that's what pigs do. You can clean it up, wash it down, you know, dress it up, but it's going to go right back to that mud. Now, why do we do the things we do? Why do we commit the sins that we commit? Because it's a part of our old nature. And it's displeasing to God. Now again, the good news is, according to Second Peter 1.4, we've been given a new nature, one that is pleasing to God, one by which we've been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. A new divine nature, one that lives to please God, to serve God. So what are we to do with that old nature that is in direct opposition to God? Put it to death. Put out the trash, the garbage that's in our lives. And this brings us to our, our first really list of sins that we're to put out. Number one, our first point, it's, it's undisciplined desires. Paul says there are some undisciplined desires in our lives that, that are displeasing to God. Five specific sins he lays out in verse 5. Look at verse 5. Paul says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Five sins that Paul brings up, and he starts, he begins with fornication. Fornication is essentially sex before marriage, and adultery is sex after marriage. It's when you're unfaithful to your spouse with someone besides your spouse. Outside of its proper context, sex can be extremely destructive spiritually and even physically. We know that our country is a sex-obsessed culture. It's obvious and blatant that in these days we don't even need to go looking very far for it. Just turn on the TV or, or, or the internet and it's all over the place. Paul brings up the sins of uncleanness and, uh, and passion, all referring to the drive of sexual lust. So that's not the drives are wrong because God has given us the drive for water, the drive for food, the drive for sleep. He's given us the drive to breathe. He's given us a God-given sexual drive. But there's a difference between eating to live and, and living to eat. And there's a difference between getting a good night's rest and being a lazy bum and sleeping all the time. There's a difference between your sexual drive and, and God's plan of marriage and go, or going out and, and committing fornication or adultery. We're told in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 that the marriage is honorable among all and the bed is undefiled but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. God gave us sexual intimacy to produce a oneness between a man and a woman when the two become one. To bless that. Listen to the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 15 through 20. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. 
Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Listen, that's the reason why there's no such thing as a quick little fling, a one-night fling. When you commit this sin, you violate the oneness with your spouse if you're married. And you enter this oneness with this other God. You sin against the person. You, you sin against your spouse. And you sin against your own body. And if you don't repent, you're going to be judged for it. Verse 6 says, Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Now, I'm not saying that if you're a Christian and you've fallen into this sin, you can't be forgiven of it. But what I am saying, based on the authority of the Word of God, is that if you continue in this sin, if you do not repent of this sin, you are certain to face judgment. So you've been warned. And if the Lord is, is speaking to your heart this morning, I, I encourage you, strongly encourage you to respond. If you're involved in premarital sex, stop. If you're thinking about it, stop. If you're committing adultery, stop. Are you planning on committing adultery? Stop. You have no idea of the destruction force that it will cause in your life and in the lives of your children and the lives of your testimony or even the impact on the church as a whole. I thank God for every man and woman that have stood their ground in, in this wicked and adulterous generation and drawn a line and said, said no, I, I stopped you. We're going to remain faithful to each other no matter what. Now you may say, well, Pastor Tom, that doesn't really applaud me. I've never done any of that. I'm happily married. Well, do you think about them? Because Paul covers that next when he says uh, evil desires and covetousness. Maybe you have a fantasy life going on in your mind and you're filling your mind with all sorts of impure influences. Perhaps you pride yourself that I don't do these certain things, but in the same time, you're doing them all the time in your mind. Jesus pointed this out with the Pharisees when he said, you know, you guys, you put on a pretty good show. You look real good on the outside. He said, but basically your, your beautiful tombstones, whitewashed sepulchers were his words. But on the inside, you're rotting. So on the outside, you may look holy, you may look spiritual, but God knows what's going on in your mind. And here's the thing. We need to be very, very careful because evil desires ultimately lead to evil actions. Because after a while, you're not going to be satisfied with just the thoughts and thinking about it or fantasizing about it. You're going to want to fulfill it. I think sin has been summed up this way very well. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Most sins can be traced back to the, to the realm of the imagination where we've pondered it, we've turned it over, we've thought about it. I think when David fell into the sin with Bathsheba, that David, he'd been up on his rooftop where he should have been uh, out to war and, and uh, he caught this view of this beautiful woman bathing herself. And the Bible says that he saw her. And you know the rest of the story. It led to the evil actions and the rest of the problems. It all came along with that. But it started with that last sin that Paul uh, brings up here. It's covetousness. He had to have her. Now, now this, in this context, covetousness is speaking of coveting someone else sexually. But I think in the broader sense, you know, you can look at it of coveting in general. 
Now you might wonder what is coveting exactly. Well, coveting means to eagerly desire something, or a more literal translation of the word is to pant after something. Like a, a wild animal in pursuit of its prey. Panting after what that animal wants, and it will go after it no matter what it costs the animal or its prey. And in our lives, it would be going after something no matter what it costs me. No matter what the consequences. Coveting works like this. The eyes look at an object, the mind admires it, the will goes over to it, and the body goes in to possess it. Now, let's not misunderstand. You may admire your friend's car. You may, you know, even go buy one just like it, and that's not exactly coveting. That's copying. I don't think it's a sin. Maybe irritating to your neighbor that you have a car just like theirs parked right next to theirs and right next to it in the, in the house. But I don't think it's sin. But coveting is different. Coveting is when you go to your neighbor and say, I really like your car. Do you mind if I sit in it? No, go ahead. Man, I really like your car. Do you mind if I turn it over, start it? No, go ahead. Man, I really like your car. Do you mind if I take it around the block? No, go ahead. And then you never come back. That's coveting. You know, and that coveting is giving away to grand theft auto and stealing. See, the idea here is that that what you have, I want, I'm going to get it no matter what it costs you. I don't care what it costs me. I got to have it. Coveting is, is a powerful and often misunderstood sin. It can cripple you spiritually. It can destroy you spiritually. It must not be underestimated. It needs to be kept in check. The Bible is full of stories of, of people who allowed coveting to destroy them. In Joshua chapter 7, there's a man named Achan. Lost his own life because he coveted something that did not belong to him. Same thing happened with Judas Iscariot, you know, who sold his Lord away for 30 pieces of silver. Listen to what 1 Timothy 6.10 says. For the love of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. For the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Again, it's the idea of if I want what I want, and I'm going to get it no matter what the cost. You know, I'm going to go and I'm going to steal my neighbor's eight rolls of toilet paper. I want them, I need them, They're, they are mine. Or worse, you know, that the coveting that says, well, you know, I, I want to get rich quick. I, I need to buy a lottery ticket, even though I don't have the money for that. I'm going to go to Riverboat Casino and try to multiply what I have. i got to have it. I don't care what it costs me. And that can destroy you spiritually because then coveting becomes idolatry. Verse 5 says, warns of covetousness, which is idolatry. When people engage in, in greed and sexual sin, Paul is listed here, they follow their desires rather than God's desire. So in essence, they're, they're worshiping themselves. They're committing idolatry. So he says, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, which is idolatry, belong to our earthly nature, our old nature, our worldly nature, the perversions of what God intended for us to do and should have no part in the Christian life. Well, Paul doesn't stop there. Next are point number two, unholy attitudes. Look now at verse 8. Paul says, But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, 
wrath, malice. Stop there for a moment. Now, there are many believers, many Christians who are proud, you know, that they put out of their lives the undisciplined desires. But then they end up stinking up their lives by allowing unholy attitudes to come in or to remain. What's an unholy attitude? Well, Paul brings up first anger. Now, do you know that you can actually be angry about certain things in a righteous way? Because there is indeed a place for righteous anger. I think, for example, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the religious leaders who had misrepresented God to the people. Jesus was angry. He referred to them as vipers, wolves, and children of the devil. That's pretty harsh words. We know that Jesus went and turned tables over, upside down, of the money changers, bringing out a whip. That was sincere. That was righteous indignation. And we need to have a little bit of of anger about certain things. And there's nothing wrong with that. If it's the kind of anger and, 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 and we take the right course of action. See, when we read about God being angry, He doesn't get angry like you and I do. You know, if someone cuts us off on the highway, we lay on the horn because we're so angry. God doesn't lose his temper like that. I mean, that would be a scary thought if he did. Oh, you've gotten me so mad. Poof, there goes Saturn. Poof, there goes Jupiter. He's done. No, God doesn't do that. When the Lord expresses anger or says he hates something, as we read in Proverbs, it's a righteous indignation, a righteous hatred. And we can be righteously indignant with things that are wrong around us today. We can be angry in a righteous way. When we see our our, our country falling apart spiritually uh, as a result of immorality, we we can be righteously angered about that. We can be angry when we turn on the TV and we see abortion clinics open and governors saying abortions are life-sustaining and are essential businesses. Man, that gets me angry. I, I don't like that. We can get angry when we see compromise seeping into the church, even into our own lives. We can be angry when we can see, you know, marriages fall apart, couples divorcing with no biblical basis, when they could have been put back together. So there's a place for righteous indignation, but that's not obviously not what Paul is talking about here with this type of anger. See, I know one time or another we've all lost our temper, things that people have done or... You find yourself, find yourself angry and upset. Maybe you say something you, you wish you hadn't, you know you shouldn't have said. Well, what should you do in a case like that? Well, the first thing you need to do is, is apologize. And ask for forgiveness. And try to undo the wrong uh, that you've done if possible. Because here's the thing. You are going to have disagreements. You're going to have differences of opinions and it's not always who is right and who is wrong. It's often just a difference of opinion. He wants it blue, she wants it red. Especially, man, confined to our homes with, with husbands and wives. Man, you can have a little bit difference of opinion. And you have to learn how to bend. You have to learn how to compromise, how to forgive, how to resolve those conflicts and never let the sun go down upon your wrath. There's a verse that talks about that. In other words, don't go to bed angry with one another. Paul brings up the next couple, uh, wrath and malice. Listen, anger becomes wrath when we develop an unforgiving spirit. 
Wrath is a, is a sudden outburst of anger which flows out of anger. Malice is hardened anger. Oh yeah, you did this to me, so, so I'm gonna get even with you. That anger's just been nursed and nursed and nursed and, 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 and it's an anger that just tries to, to get revenge. An anger that, that is never, uh, never looking for forgiveness or, 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 or you know, uh, putting an end to it. So Paul says, man, you need to put an end to this. Put that off like an old, dirty, filthy garment. The type of attitude does not represent Christ. It's trash and it needs to go. Well, that really leads to the third thing. Third point, untamed speech. Paul specifically names these sins, the sins of the tongue. Look at verses 8 and 9. We're to put out blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. There's a couple different types of blasphemy. There's a blasphemy against God, and there's a blasphemy against man. The first type of blasphemy is to defame the name of God. It's not just just taking you know the name of God in vain, but it's to misrepresent Him, to, to hate Him. Hating God for something that has happened is, is really a form of blasphemy. Now, did you know you can also commit blasphemy against another Christian when you make a statement about them that is not true? For an example, there's a woman who said to her friend, my mother taught me never to say anything about anyone unless it was good. And boy, is this good. When you say things that are untrue, things about a child of God, you are guilty of blasphemy. Another word for blasphemy there is slander, saying something unkind or more specifically untrue about another person to specifically hurt them. Just because I don't like that person, whatever they do, I'm going to tear them down. I'm going to—I know it's not true, but I'm going to, uh, you know, assign that attitude. I'm going to say that this is what they're doing anyway. I'm going to come against them. Well, that's a sin. That grieves the Holy Spirit. Here's a great little acronym to keep in mind before you say anything about a person. When you think about repeating something or saying something about a person or something you should should be saying or should be saying, remember this acronym. Acronym. It's called THINK. T stands for is it true. H stands for is it helpful. I stands for is it inspiring. N stands for is it necessary. And K stands for is it kind. THINK. We're told in James 1.19, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And maybe that's why God has given us two ears and one mouth. Something to think about. Because then Paul says, let no filthy language come out of your mouth. You know the old saying, garbage in, garbage out. If you're listening to songs, if you're watching certain videos that the language is bad, filthy, you may not realize it, but it's going to have an effect on your life. At the very least, you know, it no longer shocks you anymore. Foul, filthy language includes both that which is abusive and that which is filthy. Perhaps the little boy had filthy language in mind when he asked his mom, can Billy and I go listen to Daddy fix the flat tire? Get it? Listen to Daddy fix the flat tire. Yeah, I can't believe that Christians would want to indulge in that, but I would be naive to think that there aren't some Christians that, that, that you know, when they meet together, don't think twice about sharing dirty jokes. You know, they'll say, well, you know, pardon my French, but, or I, I know you're, you're, you're a Christian, but, and, and, and they just 
you know, the, the, out comes this dirty joke. Or, or some Christians use swear words. In fact, I've heard of pastors from the pulpit. There's no place for that. These are the things that, that God's Word is telling us we need to put off. Paul says there's another problem. He says, people are lying. Verse 9, he says, do not lie to one another. Man, lying is a, is a, is a deception that's so widespread in our culture today. In fact, we, we've developed new words so that we're, you know, we don't have to admit that we've lied. You know, it doesn't sound so harsh. Some people have gotten lying down to a science. You know, instead of saying, well, I lied through my teeth, they say, well, I misspoke. I, I, I didn't really lie. I, 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 mistakes were made. Now, I, I won't admit that I made the mistake, but mistakes were made. Maybe I misled you. Maybe I exaggerated a bit. Maybe you told a big fat lie, huh? <laughs> admit it. What does the Bible say about lying? In Proverbs 6, we're given a list of seven things that the Lord hates. Now, I don't know about you, but if God says something that He hates, then I don't want to be doing something that God hates. <laughs> now, it's worth noting that two of the things that God identified with has to do with lying and deception. Listen to Proverbs 6, verse 16 through 19. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to Him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Now you may say, oh, come on, Pastor. Everybody lies. Everybody stretches the truth a little bit. What's wrong with a little white lie? How bad is it? Did you know that the Bible says if you're a liar, you'll be thrown into the lake of fire? I mean, that's pretty severe. Listen to Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, I'm not implying that if you've ever told a lie, you are going to hell, you're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. And I'm not saying that if you're a Christian and you've lied, you can't be forgiven of it. Because Christians do lie. They shouldn't, but they do. A believer can fall into lying just as easy as, as you can fall into any other sin. That doesn't mean that you've lost your salvation when you do. Otherwise, many of us would have lost our salvation a long time ago. But it does reveal that you don't reach a place of perfection, nor do you completely get rid of that old nature when you become a child of God. But you need to daily put it to death. You know, it starts very young, lying does. You tell your little boy or girl to stay out of the cookies and you walk in and there's cookie crumbs all over their face and the cookies are all gone and you say, did you eat those cookies? No, no cookies. And, 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 and you know, no one teaches them that. It's an old nature that we're born with. Heard a story about a little boy who came running into the house and said, Mama, Mama, a lion just ran across our front lawn. The mother said, Willie, you know that was not a lion. That was a big dog that ran across the lawn. You go upstairs and confess to the Lord that you lied about it. Little Willie went upstairs and after a while he came down again. His mother asked, Did you confess your lie to the Lord? He answered, Yes, I did. But the Lord said when he first saw him, he thought he was a lion too. Lying is, lying is something that is deep-rooted in the human hearts, and, and, and many Christians, they in, indulge in it without giving it a second thought. 
But listen, if his or her life is a habitual flow of lies that proceeds from a heart that seeks to deceive, to manipulate, then we have no biblical basis to believe that that person is a born-again believer to be in the first place. See, it goes back to our new nature. If you're a child of God, you're going to reflect the nature of our Father. Of course, not flawlessly, not perfectly, and there'll be times when you'll slip up, but in general, the, the, the nature of your Father will be inflect, uh, reflected in you. And if your Father is God, then you're going to see His truth flowing through your life. But if your Father is the devil, who is identified as a father of lies, then you're going to reflect His nature. So you may lie on occasion, but you need to see it as a sin and don't make any excuses for it. Abraham lied about his wife Sarah, saying she was his sister. David lied to cover up his sin with Bathsheba. Peter lied even knowing that he knew the Lord Jesus, but every one of them eventually repented. And that's the thing. We need to see lying for what it is, a sin, something that God hates, something specifically that grieves the Holy Spirit. And we need to repent of it. Did you know that 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 uh, uh, flattery can be a form of lying? It's a subtle form, but it's true. One definition of flattery is saying something to a person's face you would never say behind his back. In other words, I walk up to you, man. You are so clever. You are you are just so 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 beautiful, man. You are number. One. You are the best. Then I turn and walk away. What an idiot! Now, that's not a self-confession. I'm using myself as an illustration. I, I don't do that type of thing. But maybe, you know, it's a job you want. And you're going in for an interview. And before you even begin the interview, you just say, man, I just want to say that, man, I've heard a lot of good things. But you're this great boss. And, and just, just that you're one of the most intelligent persons I've ever met. And, and, and I just would be so, so uh, privileged to be working for you. And, and you're just flattering because in your heart you're going, this guy, I just, I don't like him, buddy. I need the job. You're flattering the person. You want to butter them up. You want something from them. So you say something to their face you would never say behind their back. To their face, you're wonderful. Behind their back, you're an idiot. That's a form of lying. Exaggeration is a form of lying. Oh, come on. Everyone exaggerates a little. Come on. You know about the fish that got away? Well, that can be a form of lying. Maybe exaggerate your skills to get that promotion. Stretching the facts. How about silence? You know, silence can actually be a form of lying as well. Because there can be those occasions where you hear someone say something that you know for a fact is not true, and yet you remain silent. Maybe they're slamming a friend or someone you know. You, you can defend that person because you have first knowledge of the facts, that, but yet you don't say anything. See, Paul says, put away anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy, filthy language and lies. That's all true. to be taken out of our lives. And finally, the last thing that needs to go... Number four, if you're taking notes, unwarranted prejudice. Unwarranted prejudice. Paul says in verse 11 that there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Now we know that the church is made up of people from all different backgrounds. Yet in Paul's day, like in ours, there was this religious division going on. Oh, you're, you're a barbarian. Yeah, well, you're a, a Scythian. Well, I can't have fellowship with the likes of you because of, of who you are. Now, let me say this. I believe racial sensitivity has gone way too far today. 
Growing up in Southern California, it was a melting pot of all sorts of different races and nationalities. And we continue to live in a country that has been and continues to be so diverse. Yet 30 years ago, we could joke about our diversity. I think of the late comedian Don Rickles and his jokes. that There was no race, no nationality that was off limits. Today, he would be thrown out of the show business. I mean, you either you even, even mention a person's race and they're offended. And this whole thing of the COVID-19 outbreak, calling it the China virus, and, and people are, are offended by it. It proves racial sensitivity has gone way too far. Listen to the definition of racism. It's prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. That racism, that prejudice is wrong. But calling COVID-19 a China virus is no way racist. It's not putting down someone. It's not discriminating or meant antagonistically. It's just a fact. That's where the virus came from. Now, with that said, actual racism and actual prejudice was happening in Paul's day there in the church. That's why he says again in verse 11, there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Barbarians were those who were not Greeks, those whom would, we would call them heathen today. The Scythians, they were the worst, worst kind of barbarians. The Scythians were north of the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. The people who lived there were probably the most barbaric the world has ever known. I mean, you talk about, about pagan, you talk about heathen, you talk about uh, brutality and mean. They would take their enemies, they would scalp them, then they would use the skull as a cup to drink the blood from their enemies out of the skull. I think that's pretty heathen. But then you had to mix with those who came out of a religious background. So you have all these folks coming together, coming to Christ, makes up the church, and they got a little bit of problems. Now let me say this. I tell you, it's a lot easier to reach a heathen with the gospel message of salvation than it is to, to reach someone who pitches himself as religious. Jesus had the same problem of his day with the scribes and the Pharisees. But to see these, these folks that were coming together, coming to Christ, forming the church, yet they were treating each other horribly based off of their past life. They weren't treating each other with kindness and love as, as God has commanded us to. And so as a result, there was this unwarranted prejudice going on in the church. Radical racism. Paul here says, that's trash. That's got to go. Because the heart of the gospel is that Christ died for everyone and every person is important to Him and no person is to be excluded. And prior to coming to Christ, we were all on the same ground level, sinners separated from God. That's why Jesus came and died for the whole world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So Paul's challenge to us this morning, undisciplined desires, unholy attitudes, untamed speech, unwarranted prejudice, if it's in our lives, it's time to take the trash out. You know, in my home, I have a tendency to push down the trash, and push down the trash, and I get my foot on there and I push it down because I don't want to take it out. I am a human trash compactor. I admit that. 
But if there's something that smells so horrible, no matter how empty that can is, it's going out to the barrel. <laughs> Listen, the same thing is true for our lives. We can't just keep pushing down and pushing down that sin to make more room. Any little bit of sin smells horribly. And we need to get rid of it. Why? Verse 10. Because we have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. That old man died in Christ. The new man lives in Christ. We must throw out the remaining sinful deeds and in its place be continually renewed in Christ's likeness to which we've all been called. And the only way to accomplish that is through the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. That's why we need a new nature, one in which we belong to Christ. That's why the Bible says you must be born again. Jesus said in John 3, 3, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Said in John 3, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. As we close, I want to back up to verses 6 and 7. Paul writes this, Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. We are living very, very close to the days in which the wrath of God is going to be poured out on a Christ-rejecting world in what's called the Great Tribulation Period. It's a time of God's wrath coming upon all those that choose to stay in that place of sin, that choose to reject Jesus Christ as their Savior. Paul here is making the comparison by saying, you once walked in sin. In other words, you were living an unrepentant sinner's life awaiting the wrath of God. But now God says, you've been uh, born again. You should, life should be different. You don't want to go back to that old lifestyle. So as we close this morning, I want to ask, where are you at? I'm in my living room, in my bathroom. Oh, okay, that's not what I mean. <laughs> where are you at spiritually, not physically? Are you still in the flesh or are you born again in the spirit? Are you still being controlled by your old sinful nature? Or are you now born again and controlled by the Spirit of God working in and through your life? Perhaps you are at the place where you're born again. You've been walking with God. None of us walk flawlessly but, but, or perfectly. But you can say you have a clear conscience this morning. Great. Thank God for that. Continue in it. Maybe you've tuned in and you're, you're born again, but you're saying, well, yeah, one of those things that you talked about, yeah, I need to work on. Great. Now's the time to confess it. Turn from it. Maybe say, well, okay, one or two of those things I need to work on. Okay. Maybe you've tuned in and you said, listen, uh, I, I didn't, you didn't even mention this. I'm involved in this. This is so radical. Listen, it's time to repent of that. It's time to look at your life. And if you're not right with God, then admit to Him that you're not. Turn from your sin. Repent. Turn to Christ. He will forgive you. Why? Because He sent His Son to die on the cross for you. He going to leave your sin upon Himself so you can be forgiven. God is willing to forgive. But you've got to come to Him seeking His forgiveness and committing your life to Him. I would encourage you, wherever you're at this morning, to come to Christ. Let Him do that work in your life. Finally, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, uh, you're not born again this morning. 
as the worship team comes up to give us one last song, I want to pray and give you that opportunity to come to Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that we, even we as believers can allow these sinful things to come into our lives and really trash, Lord, trash up our lives, stink up our lives. Lord, help us to have soft hearts this morning and to realize that any of these sins, sins that we've talked about, if they've come in, Lord, that we need to get rid of it. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we need to cast it out and walk closely with you. Your word says, God, if we walk in your spirit, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Help us, Lord, to walk in your spirit. Finally, Lord, if there's anyone listening to this message, they're not born again this morning. But they want to be. They want to have their sin forgiven. They would want to know if they were to die today, they would go to heaven. With all that's going on in the world, they want to be right with you, Lord. If that's their desire, Lord, would you touch their heart? They would just pray this prayer after me. God, I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from it today. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my God. I want to follow you from this day forward. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for accepting me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again from the dead. I put my faith and trust in you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you pray this prayer, the Bible says that uh, the angels rejoice in heaven over one sinner that repents. Man, we want to rejoice with you. So if you pray this prayer, would you please message us on Facebook? Message us on YouTube so that we know that we can pray for you, that we can encourage you in your walk with the Lord. To the rest of us, you know, not all of us really, <laughs> um, I encourage you today, make some phone calls. You know, touch base with some folks. Uh, you know, I've gotten a few phone calls during the week, and it's just been, been a blessing. And I've called a few folks and just checked up on them and say, Hey, how you doing? I miss not seeing you at church. And just talk for a while. You will be encouraged. You'll be blessed. All right, let's close with one final song.